Hello, this is Jeff Otis, partner at Evergreen, and you're listening to a deep dive with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. I hope you enjoy this 30-minute conversation between myself, an investment committee member, and family office partner, Jeff Yulberg. And as always, thanks for listening. All views and opinions expressed by the host and any guests of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen GovCal. Evergreen GovCal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode. All right. Well, we're joined today by Jeff Yulberg, a fellow partner at Evergreen and one of the members of our uh, Evergreen family office group. So, Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. You're the first guest in 2023, so I hope you're ready to get this thing started. Sounds great. Um, we we interact all the time uh, throughout the office. I hear you talking to clients, you're talking to colleagues. And so I want to do a little bit of a lightning round today and pepper you with a few different questions on topics that I hear you talking about uh, quite a bit. And so we're going to make this very interactive. So I hope you're ready. Buckle up. That's great. Um, I'm going to start off by uh, we're going to break it down a little bit by thoughts on public markets and thoughts on private markets while I have you, because I know you spend a lot of your time on the private uh, the private side. But let's start with public uh, public markets and looking out to the 2023 and break it down from just your outlook on on equities and public markets. Yeah, so we've had quite a few discussions around the equity market to start this year, um, obviously, with the S&P. 500 down about 18% last year, and the NASDAQ down about 32.5%. Uh, it's hard to say that we don't see any opportunities in the equity markets, I think, longer term. There are certainly some companies selling at reasonable valuations now uh, with, with good forward growth pr- prospects um, coming down the line. I think one thing that we're kind of uh, looking out for is, is increased volatility on the equity side this year. So we don't know that Instability that we saw in 2022 is going to go away anytime soon. Uh, we're a little concerned this first and second quarter about possibly seeing some earnings contraction, so potentially an earnings recession. Um, so right now, with clients that have large cash balances on the equity side, for um, those investments, I think we're kind of in a neutral environment where we are buying up equities and we do think there's some good long-term opportunities, but I would say that we're not going all in on the equity side, on the equity allocations. We're still being patient. Uh, we think 2023 early on could bring some good opportunities to, to get the cash to work at lower levels. And uh, at this point in time, um, like I said, we're doing some buying, but, but still patient. So for existing clients, especially, we haven't really been buying up uh, in the last few months. I think that, that we expect some downside volatility and, and we would look to add that add to our equity positions uh, here early on in 2023. Uh, as an added follow-up to this, uh, any thoughts on the kind of the breakdown of between growth and value and then domestic and international on public equities? Yeah, that's a really good question. I know we've been talking about that a lot in our investment meetings. Uh, you know, going out of or coming out of the pandemic in 2020, we really thought growth was going to be the opportunity. We thought that the valuations were attractive in that time and that uh, that was really where we wanted to place a lot of capital. As we went through that rally in the uh, after the pandemic, we kind of pivoted halfway, if you remember, and we thought value. You're talking about, before. are you talking about early on 2020, like in the early stages of COVID? 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. remember we were really saying yep. we want to add to our growth without the, that coming out of this that the the growth side would be the best performer early on in the pandemic, and then about halfway in, I would say that we made a real strong push to to invest in value. We thought the valuations on the value side were much more attractive than the growth side, uh, and you know we really started minimizing our investments on the growth side and really said that that the opportunity of the equity side is value. I'd say today, I think there is still some great opportunities on the value side. But growth has become much more attractive. So I would probably say it's more of a neutral environment. If a client needed to have a long-term allocation with half in growth and half in value, I think you can comfortably invest in both sides at this point in time. I don't know that there's a real horse that I would pick out of those two. I do think clients should be increasing their uh, international exposure, um, especially emerging market and developed international. Uh, the U.S. has outperformed so for such a long period of time. We're now at a point where we think international uh, valuations are really attractive. So I think that is a key component to a lot of our equity portfolios that we'll continue to add either through individual security exposure or through different strategies. Okay. Um, I think that's good for now. I mean, I'd love to go probably even deeper into that. But for the time being, I think we'll let's skip, uh, skip into uh, income. So public market income securities. Yeah. So this is an area that I think... Um, Unlike the equity markets, I think we're much closer to a bottom. I think that the interest rate move that we saw over the last year was really historic. I mean, we haven't seen a move like that since 2020 or since the Great Depression, honestly. Um, investment grade debt was down over 18% in 2022, which you know is a historic collapse in investment grade debt. So when we look at our income investments and income opportunities, I think there are really, really attractive income um, opportunities to, to take advantage of. I think that if you pay attention to the Fed, we're probably closer to the end of rising rates um, than, than a continuation of what we've seen over the last six to eight months. Uh, I don't know how many more rate rises we'll get, but I, I think it's, it's going to be a, a handful. So with that said, I think that you can comfortably invest on the income side. One hesitation that we, we currently have is that if we do go into a deep recession, we'll see credit spreads blow out. So we're still being somewhat picky on the quality uh, of the debt that we're buying into. We're a little longer duration, certainly than we were this time last year, but credit quality is still something that we're paying attention to. So if we do get a deep recession, a big equity sell-off, you'll see credit spreads blow out and we'll be able to go in and buy some debt at even more attractive rates than we have right now. But if we get kind of what the the market is forecasting kind of a, a short recession, um, not a real intense recession. I think then, then income rates or income investments are incredibly attractive at this environment. With credit spreads blowing out, I just want to break that down a bit. So that means as you move down the credit ladder in quality, right, you would have drops in the value of securities at, at the junkier end a more significant right. drop right uh, versus higher quality so like what would how does credit spreads blowing out impact high quality versus low quality well i think in that environment kind of everything gets thrown out with the bathwater, so we can see high quality being priced at high yield or junk bond rates and that's what we want to take advantage of we want to get a high grade piece of uh, corporate debt at a much higher yield than what it should be trading at. So we factor in or we look into the interest rate movements and that's one decision that we have to make, but then we also have to look at the credit quality and what is the likelihood of our principal being paid back to us, not all, not just the interest rate that we're gonna be getting. Um, so if those concerns happen and people are concerned, oh, well, people won't be able, or companies won't be able to pay us back, well, then you get a much larger yield and that's really where we wanna take advantage of that. And so we'll wanna find high quality debt trading it 
lower credit qualities. Yep, that makes sense. Okay, well, I want to move into privates. I know you spent a lot of your time assessing private market opportunities, both on the income side and the growth side for clients, um, specifically family office clients who maybe need to have a little bit larger allocation of their overall investable asset base to private markets, as opposed to just having everything in publicly traded stocks and bonds, um, which is very common for uh, a lot of the clients that, that we work with in our in our private wealth management division. But let's start with uh, real estate. So in terms of private markets, thoughts on uh, real estate exposure? Yeah, this has been a big topic lately for clients in the family office that either have real estate exposure and are considering selling or have been looking to add to their real estate exposure and asking, is now the right time? What type of real estate should we be buying into? This is always a tough question to ask because real estate is always driven by what location you're in. So it could be a terrible market here in Seattle, but a fantastic market in Texas. And we need to know where we're allocated. And we look pretty much across the country uh, for good real estate opportunities over the last year. We've invested in Indianapolis and the Sun Belt. Uh, we've done deals in North Carolina, so really across the country. And I feel like we've got a good um, understanding of what's happening. Right now, I would say that for clients that are looking to buy, I think we're still being fairly patient. We're starting to see some price declines, and I'm talking mostly commercial, multifamily, or industrial real estate. We're starting to see some price decline in our core markets here in the Northwest, um, but we really haven't seen dramatic declines. So I think at this point in time, for the buyers, we're we're being pretty patient, and I would say for the sellers, you know. If you want to test the market and you get the price that you think is attractive, okay, that's fine. But, you know, it's not the best market for sellers to be in with the moves that we've seen in interest rates. And and I think that's the one hesitation. There's always other reasons for clients to buy real estate and they have long-term focus. So we obviously have clients that have large capital gains from a sale of business or from selling stock earlier in 2022. Uh, And some of those have been placing funds in opportunity zone development deals or other opportunity zone. investments and that's completely separate i think you know 10 years from now real estate's still going to be a good investment and you're probably going to get some good prices here but i'm talking about the one-off investor looking to you know buy a commercial building or a multifamily investment i think being patient right now will will pay off here and it could just be the next six months if we get that recession that we're talking about that's much deeper you'll see some stress in those markets people will be forced to liquidate and then you can go in and get much lower level or much lower prices yeah, and you're saying it's not a great time to be a seller, at least right now, because reduced demand because of uh, higher rates. Yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of doing what what I'm saying. They're being patient. Uh-huh. They want to see price declines. Obviously, sellers saw you know, essentially what we were just talking about last year. Talking about valuations. Buyers. Yes, buyers being yeah. I'm saying sellers yeah. saw what they saw last year on their valuations, and they expect to get that. And I think buyers are saying, no, we want to pay 10 or 15%, 20% lower. And that's where you have this kind of frozen market where the sellers aren't willing to sell at that price and the buyers aren't willing to pay. So there's just not a lot of activity at this point in time. Can I ask you if you're comfortable of the segments of realist, commercial real estate or uh, medical retail, like uh, of private real estate segments, are there any that look more attractive than others to you at this point? Yeah, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. I think multifamily is probably the area that we're looking at, both still apartments in the right markets. There's some value add deals where they they buy distressed properties and fix them up. I think those are somewhat attractive. But commercial and industrial, I think it, it, it's probably a good time to uh, be patient. Okay. Um, let's talk about private credit. So right. private debt. <laughs> yeah, so 
Private credit, uh, you know, as you know, we made a big push in 2021 to get exposure to private credit. So far in 2022, we're not seeing a lot of stress in that market. So we haven't seen significant defaults or, or big issues. Uh, a lot of the debt is floating rate. So we've had a good year compared to what public markets saw down 18%. So at this point in time, you know, like I said, we haven't seen companies that are incredibly stressed and not able to pay their debts. We tend to focus on enterprise software for our private credit. So those are stickier businesses where, you know, it's one of the last things a company can get rid of is their Salesforce or whatever their operating system is that they work on. But it's a great area still. I think the, the one hesitation is that public market yields are now so attractive that maybe you don't need to give up the liquidity. I still expect forward returns to be stronger in private credit than, than public markets. Um, but you know, in 2021, it was a no-brainer to shift to private credit when your yields were three or four percent in public markets. Yeah. Um, that dynamics changed. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So it's still a great area, but I, you know, in the private space, it's probably one that we, you know, move down the priority because of that interest rate move that we've seen. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And just to recap, a year ago, public market yields were so pathetic. You know, even a year and a half ago, for much of the last decade, I should say, uh, public yeah. market yields were so pathetic on the debt side that we launched a private debt fund to in search of higher yields. But now we've moved into an environment where public market yields have moved up dramatically because of what the Fed's done, that you actually can get decent opportunity in public markets where we were kind of almost forced to go into privates a year ago. So, yeah, and I would say that this environment stays the same for the next two years, and I would still anticipate another private income fund you know, and taking exposure to that because you want diversification. It's just not the screaming opportunity that it was in 2021. I mean, it made a tremendous amount of sense to get out of public markets into a floating rate opportunity. And uh, we've seen why why that happens. Well, it makes sense. I mean, and then, aka, you know, fast forward, pri private market, private market uh, debt is up uh, over that time period, at least it depends on the fund. Uh, right. Whereas public market debt, at least last year, the, the you know, the bond market was down. I think the index was down like 13%. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah no, it's a, yeah, I mean, that's been it, crazy. Like, like I said, it was down 18. So right. And let's talk about private equity. Private equity. So certainly an area that I think uh, got way overexposed in 2021. There was tremendous funding coming in to private equity in 2020 and 2021 after the uh, pandemic and some valuations that we saw. I think primarily driven by the bubble environment that we saw in public markets, you know, bled over into the private markets and you saw some crazy valuations on private companies. You know, some of those vintages might not look great. Some of those investments might not look great uh, when we look back over the next 10 years. But I think the opportunity today for private equity is really exciting. And uh, a lot of the private equity firms have done tremendous amount of fundraising over the last year and they're, they're flush with cash at this point in time. And I think you're gonna start seeing in 2023 two things. I think a lot of mid to late stage companies will need to come back to the market and raise capital. And in this environment, they're not going to get the valuation that they got previously. So those that have cash and can take advantage of uh, companies coming back to the market and willing to offer lower valuations will be able to handle um, or I guess weather the storm that maybe they overpaid in 2021. And then in 2022 and 2023, 2024, they'll be able to get much better valuations and kind of um, improve on those forward returns that maybe don't look so good in 2021. Yeah, the other thing their that cost think, bases a bit. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to. Right? And ho 
I think it's important though to be with the right private equity firms. You don't want to be with the private equity firms that are are chasing a sinking ship and they just keep buying valuation or you know increasing the valuations of their portfolio companies from past investments. So they're just right. tying themselves more and more to those. So I think you want to be with the best private equity firms that kind of have great return histories in the past and have the opportunities to invest in the best um, investments that come come to them. Uh, the other thing I think you're going to see a lot of in private equity is, I mean, I'll use Twitter as an example, but I think that's an extreme. It won't be this extreme, but I do think you'll see a lot of private equity companies buying public market companies right now, taking them private and doing some very significant restructuring. So the valuations now are going to get so attractive on the on the public side, they will buy these companies and, you know, I don't think they'll all fire 70% of their workforce like Twitter did, but I think they will be able to once they become private, thin these companies out, uh, get rid of some of the bloat that they had in 2021 when things were flush and they did over hiring, um, take advantage of lower valuations that that are still uh, coming from companies that are providing incredible growth going forward and then turn around and, and relist those and, and make great returns. So I think those two opportunities are really attractive in 2023 and 2024 for private equity. And I think over the next six months, you're gonna hear a lot of announcements, especially on the tech side. I mean, there are a lot of tech companies that came public in between 2019 and 2022 that were great companies that kind of got sideswiped with the overvaluation in 2021. But if you look at their underlying growth rates, they're phenomenal. So the great private equity firms are going to look at that in pu public markets, buy those companies, take them private, restructure them, and then relist them after the growth that has uh, been realized. So I think that's a really big opportunity in the private equity side. And for a lot of our family office clients at this point in time, we are kind of overweighting the opportunity in private equity relative to venture capital because we think that there's going to be some real lower risk opportunities to, to make great forward returns. What do you think in terms of selection of fund managers or the operators of these funds? Like, how important is that to get it right? I think that's the most important thing on the private equity side. I think we want to be with the best of breed. So, I mean, we we have a history and we've set up great relationships with some of the great the great private equity firms, specifically on the tech side. You know, that's where we lean and we really want growth. And we think those are some great opportunities. But we also have great relationships with um, larger diversified private equity firms. In the private equity side, I, I'd be very hesitant to go with like a new firm that has a great idea. We really want to be with the best of the best. And the main reason is, you know, if a public market company is looking to go be sold to someone, they're going to go to the Silver Lakes. They're going to go to the Vista. They're not going to miss an opportunity. They may pass on opportunities, but they're going to get every opportunity. And so that's why we want to be with those. We do the same thing on the venture side as well. I mean, that's why we want to be with the best venture companies too. Well, you led me right into it. So let's talk about VC, right? So yeah, let's talk about uh, venture capital and, and the outlook there. So VC is similar, I would say. I think there was some overbought and some some stretch valuations in 2021 that I'm sure a lot of those companies wish they had back. Compared to the private equity side, VCs aren't as flush with cash. I mean, if you look at the fundraising from the private equity side over the last 12 months, I mean, it really didn't skip a beat. VCs, you're seeing some hesitation. I think a lot of the VCs I talk to in the area, you know, they're having a harder time raising funds. 
So that, again, I think is a great opportunity, especially in the Seattle area. You know we love the Seattle venture capital area. We think it's the best place to be really possibly in the world. There's just not enough capital chasing these companies here in Seattle. So we've got great yeah. partnerships with the large firms. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> so if you compare the amount of capital in San Francisco to Seattle, it's it's many, many times more prevalent in, in San Francisco, but the tech talent up here, I mean, it's becoming just as strong as down there. So we think there's gonna be a tremendous amount of unicorns that spin out of Seattle companies, and we wanna have a lot of exposure to that. So we are very excited to be partnering with the largest VC firms here. And again, we want them to have our capital so that they can take advantage of the opportunities that come to them. We want to make sure that they see every great opportunity. And I think there's some really fun stuff in Seattle around artificial intelligence that we think is going to be continuing to grow. You know, obviously enterprise software is a big area for us and Seattle is kind of the heartbed of that. So, you know, I think that it's really exciting. And uh, again, an area that we want to continue to, to give managers capital to get good forward returns. And I think now is a great market to do it. The valuations also are much lower than what they were in 2021. So they're going to be able to buy more of these companies or more of them through their portfolio. And again, just increase the opportunity of finding that next unicorn. I think that's a good recap and obviously exciting, like you said, to be in this market and have all the relationships that we have in this market. feels like yeah. we're in a really, really, really strong position to capitalize on that if we yeah. get the theme right and if we get that uh, that outlook right. So, And I think that's um, important because venture capital, I mean, is all great about ideas. relationships. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and ideas. Great ideas uh-huh. can happen in distressed markets. They can happen in you know fast-growing markets. So that's where you just can't skip a beat on the venture capital side because you never know when that great idea is going to come. If you go back and look at 08 and 09 or even some of the most depressed times, some of the best companies in the U.S. were built in those times. So venture is completely different. I think the only difference that we're getting today is just much better valuations. And, and to be quite honest with you, um, I think our venture partners would tell us that the terms they're getting are much better. So you get more control where in 2021, there was so much money chasing these companies. They kind of had to sit on the side and say, just take our money and I hope you do a good job. Right. That's, that's extreme. But now they can really set terms that they want and they can, they can get good. They can get their hands into the companies much more than what they could have in the past. Let's let's uh, finish up with your favorite places to invest in 2023. So I always break things down into to two things. It's always private markets and public for me. Um, and I would say in the private markets, as you could probably tell, I think it's the growth side. I think the growth side on the pub, the private markets is the best opportunity for those clients that that have the liquidity and can invest in private markets. I think we'll look back and say, gosh, that was a great vintage 2023, 2024. Great companies were established, and and the firms that we work with, you know, did a really good job using the capital wisely. Public markets, I think it's income. I think that's what I talk about with every client, like I said, that has a business sale. Let's be a little bit patient on the equity side, but income, I mean, maybe we're not timing it perfectly, but I think we're closer to a bottom than on the equity side. Um, so let's let's get that money to work. And that really on the income side, I mean, it really is not only just the debt, but preferred, really anything that generates income at this point in time. Like I said, a lot of the value stocks even have good dividend yields at this point in time. So I think income broadly is is what's most attractive. I think one thing to look at, and I know I was cautious on this um, in when we were talking earlier, is real estate in six months could be the thing that we're saying is really attractive. I mean, it does feel like it's it's about to break and we get some really good price declines. And if we do go into a recession here in the first or second quarter, I think that could be the straw that breaks the camel's back and we get some really good opportunities. So like I said, right now, 
private growth on the, the private side, income on the public side. And I think we are starting to do our due diligence on the real estate side for our clients too, and looking for markets that, that could crack and create good opportunities. Um, and I would add, I mean, something I've just started noticing and granted this, it's all so specific to the individual markets that you're in, but something I've noticed is at least in the Seattle market, you know, we're in King County, that's where our office is located. Uh, I'm seeing assessed values of, I'm talking about personal residences that people pay their own property tax on the assessed values have skyrocketed. Uh, I mean, 30, 40% from a year ago. And I don't think everybody is fully aware of the higher, the property tax bill that's coming. Um, I, and I think that's just starting to drip in. And so in terms of forced liquidation, I mean, that could be an added, that could be an added surge of of homes hitting the market for people that are like, I just can't afford this property tax sure. anymore, and, which could then uh, push, I mean, oversupply, right? Then it's going to push prices down even further. So it could add right into that theme of what you're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really good recap. I appreciate your time. It's nice to know, uh, you know, most of the times I'm interviewing Jeff Dix or Garman or Dave or Louie, most of that conversation is in uh, public markets and opportunities, whether it's domestic or, or international and certainly uh, public, excuse me, uh, debt or income or excuse me, debt or uh, equity. For you, it's nice to have you on because I know you spend quite a bit of your time on the private side. We don't always get that perspective, um, but it is nice that we have the capability to do that here uh, for certain clients Absolutely. and maybe as like a final thing because we've got to be careful like with compliance and all that. But what do you have to do or be as an investor to qualify for private investments? Yeah, so there, there are different limitations to becoming a, a qualified purchaser, qualified investor, and right. accredited. And that's basically based off of your income or your asset value. And, you know, but beyond that, there's just so much that goes into determining the private allocation because you give up so much liquidity. So for our clients, you know, that's kind of one one standard. That's the legal standard. We have to make sure you hit the income or the asset minimums to qualify for different funds. But then beyond that, we want to do a a deep dive onto your financial plan and, and find out your liquidity and the cash flow needs and make sure that you can really make those those investments. Um and not affect your overall retirement so or or you know goals so yeah and i think the reason for that is they're trying to protect investors who maybe uh, don't have the the liquidity to invest you know into these type of private opportunities even though they may sound attractive it's like they want it to be reasonable based on your your uh you know your ability to actually invest in those things so yeah and your investment knowledge for sure and your investment knowledge yeah so that's a really good recap. Thanks for your time today. Uh, I hope to I get you on another, maybe once or twice in here in 2023. It's always great to hear your perspective on markets. Um, so I appreciate it. Happy to do it. Evergreen GovCal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and California's Bay Area. We provide investment management, tax compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey.